Good morning. If you have a Bible, you can go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Before we jump in today, though, I wanted to take a moment to pray with you. Um, if you're a guest, my name is Mitch. I have the joy of being a pastor here, and uh, one of the dilemmas of being a pastor is uh, when you act like an idiot all week, then you come up and tell people what they're supposed to do. So uh, we're going to pray and ask God to speak anyway. Um, I want to pray with you a prayer that uh, Charles Spurgeon prayed over his church in 1880. And I think what's beautiful about the gospel and the message of good news is uh, that it is timeless and always appropriate. So join me in prayer. Father, we dare call you by that blessed name. For we feel the spirit of children. We love you. We trust you. And we desire in all things to be obedient to your will and to seek your honor. All our dependence is placed on you since the day when you taught us to believe in Jesus Christ. And now you are in all in all to us. You are our fullness and we lose ourselves and find ourselves completely in you. We would lie in the very dust before you because of our sin. And yet, at the same time, we rejoice in the great sin bearer, Jesus. That sin would not be imputed to us, that it is put away by his precious blood. That we are accepted in the beloved, the family of God. But even this does not content us. For we are crying after the work of the Holy Spirit within till Satan shall be bruised under our feet and sin shall be utterly destroyed. This is our soul's grandest desire that Jesus' name be lifted high and His throne to be set up among the people to the praise of the glory of His grace. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. So we've been in a series called Making Sense of the Church. Seems like an unnecessary series, but as you dive into it and you really read what the Bible says a church ought to be, what we're discovering is that a whole lot of churches aren't doing what the church ought to do. And so what we want to do is we want to go back to the Bible. We want to stick close to Jesus and ask, what does church look like for Redeemer City Church right here? As you sit here right now, what should we be about? What should we be doing? What are the rights, privileges, blessings of being in the family of God? And why should you submit to a pastor? Why should you read your Bible? Why is the question we're asking. And so we, we boiled down basically that the church is to be about unity, love, and holiness. Unity, love, and holiness. And so as you consider that and you begin to read through the scripture and read things that Jesus says like, be perfect because I'm perfect. We all have the collective gasp because what? We can't. 
Before any good news comes, there's always bad news. You don't know the good news until you hear the bad news. And the bad news is that you and I just aren't good people. We're just not. The Bible is like a mirror of sorts where you hold it up in front of you and you look in that mirror and you be horrified by what you see. That's near to some of us every time we get up in the morning. We get in that mirror and we say, ooh. And what do we do? We fix it. But what do we all also know when we look in the mirror at our physical appearance? There's some things that we cannot fix. Spiritually speaking, when you hold the Word of God up to your life, you will always fall short. You will always not measure up to the imperatives that the Bible puts in front of you. And so the question I want to ask today is, how? How do you and I live among these people? Go ahead and look around. Look around. These are your people. (laughs) Okay? If you're disappointed, I'm sorry. We are too. (laughs) But what's the pressing question? How do you and I live in unity, love, and holiness? Because most of the time it's easier for you and it's easier for me to not be unified, but to look out for our own interests. It's easier for us to seek love than give love. And it's easier for us to just not be holy. And the, and the, the passage we're going to dive into today is in 1 Peter chapter 2. And uh, it's going to lay those things out in front of you. It's going to hold that mirror up. And when you begin to unpack that, what is mirroring in front of you, we get a realistic self-picture of who we are. Let me show you what I mean. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. Here, here's the way this chapter starts right after the last chapter. I know that's surprising, but in the original, there wasn't chapter division. So the last thing that's said in chapter 1 by Paul is this. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. That this was the good news that was preached to you. So then we come to chapter 2, verse 1. It'll be on the screen if you don't have it. But here's what it says. It says, So put away all malice, all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through, through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you, 
but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. It's an incredible passage, but there's a danger there for us to just look at the things that you are supposed to do and forget about the things that Jesus said he has done, which enable you to do the things that you are supposed to do. So I want to look at it this way. There, there, if you have your notes on the app or in the binder, it, here's where we're going. There's some stuff you have to put away. There's some stuff I have to put away. And there's reasons for that. We're going to look at. So there's stuff you have to put away. But then there's stuff you're supposed to crave. Some stuff you're supposed to want, to long for. So there are some do's in the good news of the gospel. But it'll never happen until you understand that there's good news for priests. I mean people. And there's a whole theology built around that statement that's going to be really important for us as we move forward as a church and as we look at what it means to relate to each other the way that Christ intended for us to relate to each other. But let's back up to the first one. And uh, let me also mention that it's really hot in here. I get that. All right? I would have worn shorts and flip-flops if I had known the air would be broke. All right? But thankfully, your children are cool. You're just not cool. Okay? So, uh, and that'll be a theme for the rest of your life for more reasons than just the temperature. Stuff to put away. Look, look at this first statement, okay? If, if you divorce it from the statement before, it's, it's horrible news, isn't it? Think about this. So put away all malice. What is malice? That's like, a, that's like an old Bible word to malign somebody. What does it mean to malign somebody? Listen to the undertone of what the Greek means here. This is fascinating unashamed to break the law of God with a critical spirit. That's really hard. (laughs) If you are a negative person by nature, you see all the wrong and never see the right, the Bible makes it really clear that you have to put it away. If you can't put that away, you'll never live in unity with people. It is not possible. Think about that. That you would be unashamed to break the law of God. What is the law of God? When the, when the Pharisees came to Jesus and said, what is the most important commandment you could ever give us? And they were trying to stump Jesus, but of course he's Jesus. So you, you, you don't play 10, 21 questions with Jesus. All right, because you're going to lose. And so he says, 
to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your soul, and to love your neighbor as yourself. If you have malice in your heart, you will never accomplish that. You see, because we read stuff like, don't malign people, don't, don't have malice in your heart, and we go, yeah. But we never think about what that means when you walk in here and somebody hasn't treated you appropriately. When you walk in here and you see somebody who has the life you wish that you had. When you walk in here and you, you fill in the blank. See, because we all have that stuff. Every time we come in here, there's somebody here right now that bothers you. There just is. Can we just be, have an honest confessional moment? <laughs> Some of you come here and you're like, I don't even know why I go to church here. You bother me, Pastor. <laughs> you wore that bright yellow shirt and I can't. And what the Bible says, if you don't put it away, this is an imperative, by the way, put it away. <laughs> you, sh- you should feel crushed by that because you can't do it. If I was to interview each of you that would be honest enough to say I struggle with that, that I'm a critical person, what we would find is that in every situation each of you would say, it's just like something I I can't, I can't put it away. I can't put it away. That's the mirror that God holds in front of you. And stay tuned because there's good news to follow, but let's go through the rest of them. Look at the next one. Deceit. Deceit. The Bible says that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all because we're deceitful. See, most of the time we read that verse and we go, am I deceiving anybody else in the world? And that's part of it. But what about yourself? Sometimes we deceive ourselves. And if you're deceived, you'll never be the proclaimer of the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light because you've chosen to stay in the darkness. But what's the good news that we're going to come to? That the light shines brightest in the darkness. So deceit, crafty, sly, cunning. Are you a crafty person? Do people just never quite know where you're at? See, because part of unity, love, and holiness is to be known. Because the picture is that we are brothers and sisters in Christ And who knows your junk and your funk more than your family? Nobody. Nobody. Deceit. The the next one there, hypocrisy. Literally, literally could be translated. Sometimes you need to come in here and have somebody pray with you because you've had a terrible week or you committed a sin or, you know... We, we talked about last week, bear one another's burdens and in this way fulfill the law of Christ. Confess your sins to one another and the prayer of a righteous person has great power and will cover a multitude of sins. We come here for more than good worship music, though we love it. We come here for more than preaching, though we are called to do that. There is an aspect of body life together as the family of God where you need people to be your family. 
We, we've got great pictures of it here with our military families. We have a handful of military families who, who their family doesn't follow them around, right? That'd be nice for babysitting and stuff. Amen? <laughs> but who's their family when they're gone? We are. We are. Paul literally calls us exiles. We're exiled here. You ever feel like living in the United States of America is like living in exile? We just keep moving farther and farther from being culturally important. See, we lived in this, this uh, section of time called Christendom that is now over and people are, Christians are reeling. Case in point, our last election. And so we're, we're reeling and we're wondering why. And the Bible would just come and say, because you don't belong to here. You don't belong to here. So just go ahead and set your hypocrisy aside. Let yourself be known and love. Be unified. The next one, envy. This is, this is an interesting word because it literally means ethically depraved or ethically sinful. But the way in which it's used here, it means to be led away from holiness. To be led away from holiness. That I would so want what I don't have that, that I can't even turn around to start going towards holiness. And then the last one, slander, defamation, to speak evil of other people. God's law is a mirror that you hold up yourself and you say, look how bad it is. Look how bad it is. See, because the, the common denominator of all of these is that they all, every one of these makes you and me the center of attention. Every one of these makes you and me the center of attention. And that is bad news. Right? If, if you are the center of attention, what does that mean for everybody else? If I'm the center of attention, what does that mean for everybody else? So, these things destroy unity. So if you're struggling today with malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander... Here, here's what I would encourage you to do before you leave today. Grab some of your family members and confess those sins and pray about them with each other and put them away. And put them away. Some, sometimes we don't see God working in our life or working in our heart because we're confessing our sins privately when God said to confess them publicly. Sometimes the, the book of James makes it clear that you need other people to pray for you and cover a multitude of sins. Proverbs makes it clear that what we uncover, God covers. And what we cover, God uncovers. It undermines Christ's work and robs God of His glory when we live for ourselves. And so... In this countercultural expression of the church, we have to do things differently. What, what is it that the world will look at Redeemer City Church and say is so different here? 
it's not, not the music. We have great music. But they're not touring around. I mean, I love you guys. <laughs> but like, we, we are not yet raking in the millions because of our incredible worship music and facilities. With the air, that doesn't work. Right? So, so it is, is that what's going to draw people in? That'll draw some other Christians in who move to the area or whatever. And so it's all well and good. And we are supposed to be creative because we are created by a creator and in his image. And so that's a huge part of what we do. It's one of the things we believe in. It's why we do that. It's why we have the lights and, and all that. But that is not what will draw people to Christ. What does it say at the end of the chapter here? It says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God when? Not now. When? When, when He comes. When He comes. So, we look different. So, as you're putting those things away, any good uh, psychologists and therapists would tell you that you can't just put stuff away without replacing it, right? That if you're going to actually change, you're going to actually make a difference in your life, as you put those things away, you have to put some new things in place. There's some things the Bible says we're supposed to crave, stuff we're supposed to crave. Is there a baby in here? We need a baby. Where's my baby? I have a baby. Is she sleeping? There's a, there's a baby. Hold your baby up. Like Lion King. Alright, look at that baby. Now, let, let me just point out the obvious as you're looking at the baby. When he was just crying, did he want you? No. Did he need a spouse at that moment? Honey! Who did, who did he want? Mommy. Right? Last night I got up at, what time is that, 5 a.m.? Because Baylor was crying. Camden had just been in there. I walked in there. And she, every time I open the door, so she's sitting up in her crib, I open the door and she stops crying. And it's like, oh, somebody's coming in to rescue me. And then I picked her up and she looked at me and went, Aah! Why? Does she want Daddy. No, no, no. She didn't want daddy. What did she want? She wanted mommy. Why? I I can think of just three reasons off the top of my head that a newborn baby wants mommy. Why a newborn baby craves their mother's milk. Why is that? I think of at least three reasons. For comfort, for nourishment, and for satisfaction. What in the middle of the night did my... 11-month-old daughter want. She didn't want daddy. She wanted mommy. She wanted to be comforted. She wanted to be nourished. She wanted to be satisfied. There's a reason that God chose that picture for you and I as we live together in unity, love, and holiness. Uh, because he, here's, what, here's what you shouldn't do. You shouldn't look to me to satisfy a need that only God can satisfy. You shouldn't look to the person next to you. Go ahead, look at him. For something that only God, he's like, my wife left me. I'm, 
Not a, <laughs> who do I look at? I feel your pain. You shouldn't look at the people around you for your satisfaction. If you came here because you need friends, I hope you find them, but that's not where you're going to find your satisfaction. If you came here mad at another church, just confess that. You can stay here. (laughs) I'll confess that sin right here, right now. But you won't find satisfaction here. I'm probably, I probably make more mistakes than the last guy you were a part of. Just go ahead and throw that out there. <laughs> Where are you going to find satisfaction? In the pure spiritual milk of the Word of God. That's where you'll find it. When you get connected to God, you will be able to then connect with us. And if you get that out of order, you will have a horrible time here. You'll have a horrible time at any church you go to. Because we aren't God, and we can't do the things that only God can do. To long for. It's interesting to me, too, that this long for, this crave, is actually a command in Greek. You are literally commanded to want the Word of God. Why did, why did God have to command us to want the Word of God? Why did he have to just get so plain and clear to want the Word of God? Because we, we think we grow up, right? Like we think we move past what is so basic. I don't think I have ever talked to somebody who was like really struggling with the Lord, who was highly committed to just walking with him. When you really boil in and drill down, most of the time we're just not longing for the Lord. Can I just encourage you today to just long for the Lord, to just crave the Lord like a baby would crave their mother when nobody else can satisfy. See, because we... Let's, let's go back to some of those, those words before. Deceit. See, because we deceive ourselves into thinking that there are some things in the world that can satisfy me. I mean, if I did have a little bit more money, a little bit bigger house, a little bit nicer car, and a little bit of this and a little bit of that, we, we start to look outside and we, we start to think, you know, there's a few things that, you know, may not save me, but man, I could really get some satisfaction out of that. But we deceive ourselves, don't we? Uh, just listen to one case study here from Hebrews chapter 11. It'll be on the screen for you. Verse 25. Talking about Pharaoh. Or not Pharaoh. (laughs) Talking about Moses. All right, Pharaoh was the opposite. Look at this. It says that in the midst of the turmoil of Moses' life, here's what he did. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Now listen to this. For he was looking to the reward. He was looking to the reward. When you have tasted 
that the Lord is good. Some of your translations will say that the Lord is kind or the kindness of God. When you are tasting the kindness of God on a daily basis, you will have the power and ability through the Holy Spirit to look to the reward. You see, because if, if you take that away, if you, if you stop looking and loving the kindness of God toward you, you will start to demand the kindness of the people around you. And you'll stop looking to the reward. What is the reward? Jesus. Jesus. To be eternally present with Christ. What does the Bible show us of heaven? That every tribe, every tongue, every nation would be bowed at his feet. Worshiping. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. See, because Moses saw from the pit that God is good and kind. This is why the Bible is still applicable to you today. Think about Moses. That's some serious accolades, right? To go down in the Bible for eternity as somebody who is a man of faith. But what else do we know about Moses? Moses had a horrible temper and he killed a guy with his bare hands because he had a horrible temper. And then he ran away and hid in the desert for decades because he was afraid to face up to his sin. And yet by the end of the story that God wrote, Moses goes down in the hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11, as a great man. You are never too far gone for God's grace to come in and right the ship. You are never too far gone. No matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter who you are, and at Redeemer City Church, we are striving and longing for this to be a place where you can find love, unity, and holiness. Not by our merit, but by Christ's merit. And through that, that we could be that to Jesus, to, that we could be Jesus to other people, and that you would find that here. But then, almost curiously, we have this massive doctrine tagged on <laughs> the priesthood of all believers, is what theologians refer to it as. Why is that here? Why is that here? What, what, what was the role of a priest in the Old Testament? What was the role of a priest in the Old Testament? To go in and offer sacrifice for the people. And th there's, there's just a lot of history around that. If, if, the, if God didn't accept the sacrifice, the priest was wearing a bell on his foot with a rope tied to it. And if the bell stopped jingling, they knew that God was not satisfied and they would drag him out because he was dead. Now, good grief, if, if you and I... Every time, okay, we, we love our, our Catholic friends and brothers and sisters who, who know Christ, but th this might be the biggest problem I have with Catholic theology, is that you would go to another man and have your sins pardoned. Because just like that Old Testament, <laughs> that priest had nothing to do with the pardoning of your sin. He was there to bring the collective sins of the people. 
before the Lord. And sometimes God just killed them because it wasn't satisfactory. There's not a whole lot of confessional booths where the priest is falling out of it dead. God's serious about this. We're told to confess our sins to each other in, in, in the setting of bearing each other's burdens, not for pardoning of sin. Why is the priesthood of all believers so important? Listen to this. It says, You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus. Why is that so important? Because I am no longer your uh, priest. You are all priests. The Hebrews tells us that because of the blood of Jesus, we can enter boldly into God's throne room of grace where nobody has ever gone before other than the high priest. Why? Because of Jesus' blood on the cross. And the imagery is beautiful in the New Testament where it says that when Jesus cried out his last, when he said, it is finished, that the temple veil tore and opened up and for the first time, the average common man was allowed to step into the presence of God, into the Holy of Holies. And I love that it says that, that we can enter into that with confidence. So no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, you can step into the presence of God for mercy and help in your time of need. Amen. We're called to be priests, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. So, and then... Let me close with this. Verse 4. This is, this is wonderful. <laughs> and there's just good news on every page of the Bible. But, but as you consider that and consider the weight of that and consider what that looks like to be amongst each other, just think about this. Here, here's what it says. No word is left uh, undone in the Bible. Here's what it says in verse 4. It says, as you come to him. Gloss right over that every time. Guarantee. <laughs> Gloss right over that every time in my life. But think about the implications of that. As you come to Him, as is your sanctification. As is your sanctification. Jesus says, be perfect because I'm perfect. But because of Jesus, you, are, you have been made right before God. And so as you come to Him. What is that implying? Some of your translations will say, as you're coming to Him. There's so much in that that we don't have time for it. But, but this is your sanctification. Not that you are who you ought to be, but that you're not who you used to be because of Jesus. That when God the Father looks down on you, He sees who you ought to be, and the Holy Spirit is gradually conforming you into the image of Christ to where you're supposed to be. And so the reality is that your windshield is far more important than your rearview mirror. You still have a rearview mirror. <laughs> it's called your conscience. It's called consequences for the decisions you've made. And so you look up there, but we all know that the rearview mirror is much smaller than the windshield. Why is that? Why is that? Because as you come to Him, craving Him every day, you are chosen and precious. And then listen to verse 9 through 12 again. It says, You are a chosen race a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness. You did not pick yourself up 
out of darkness. He called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You were not people, but now you are people. You are God's people. We are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You've received mercy, though you deserved wrath. And until you come to that realization, the gospel will never be for you what God intends it to be. Until you come full face with the mirror of the law of God, you will never appreciate the good news that is offered to you in Jesus. Until you understand just how deep sin runs and how bad you are and how ugly your heart is, you will never grasp the good news that is available to you in Christ. When you are properly feeding, according to this text, on the Lord and on His Word, you will be free to look elsewhere. You see, all those other things, malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, are all about fulfilling your needs with things other than Christ. And Paul says, put them away, not because you need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps and become a better person, a better you, that you should get the champion within out. Okay, because there is no champion within. There's a loser (laughs) within. But the Holy Spirit will come in and regenerate you and regenerate your heart. And that's when old things pass away and all things become new. 